everyone. Before we start, we're excited to announce that we just launched our newsletter, How to Human. We created How to Human with an aspiring advocate, activist, and change maker in mind. In each newsletter, we'll break down complex concepts and solutions to humanity's most critical challenges from racial injustice, gender equality, the climate crisis, mental health, or any other pressing issue that we humans are facing. We urge you to sign up and create positive change straight from your inbox. Just go to humangroupmedia.com. Link is in our show notes. This season of Sincerely Human is sponsored by Riley's Way Foundation. Through community-focused programs, Riley's Way inspires teens to lead with empathy and kindness to build a better, kinder, more just world. From connecting student leaders to awarding grants for projects that amplify kindness, Riley's Way Foundation equips the next generation of leaders with the tools and resources they need to envision change and achieve it. Please stay tuned for Kindness Calling, our postscript segment featuring the remarkable teens from Riley's Way Foundation. My grandmother, whenever she would catch my mom reading a book, she would beat her severely because in my grandmother's eyes, education was a waste of time because she needed her to, you know, do the laundry and iron the clothes and help make the food and take care of the babies. So I really owe a lot of who I am and where I've come because of her, because she had this awareness, this sense of self. She realized that when she became a wife and a mother of a daughter, that she didn't want to put me through the same thing that had been done to her. And then when I started teaching and I started having more, you know, Latinx students, I realized that so many of my students are first generation, are immigrants to this country, and they have very similar stories and backgrounds as my mother did from 50 years ago. You're listening to Sincerely Human, a podcast that tells stories of kindness in action from the lens of today's most inspiring humans. This is Camille. And this is Maverick. Welcome to the show. When we talk about education, we don't really highlight how culture impacts it. Did you know that Hispanics have the highest high school and university dropout rate of any other population? Some drop out to work instead and support their families. But there are also cultural factors at play. When immigrants come to this country, they might feel lonely and isolated, especially if they don't speak the language perfectly. For Hispanic women in particular, the macho culture might reinforce the idea that they are supposed to become housewives and mothers instead of focusing on school. Hispanic youth also have the highest teen pregnancy rate of any other population. Our guest today is Michelle Navarro, a history professor at Dallas College. Michelle has Mexican-American roots. She grew up disconnected from her heritage. But throughout the years, she became interested in making sense of her family history and Hispanic identity. In an effort to help other students do the same, she formed the student club Achieving Latino Academic Success, or ALAS. At ALAS, Michelle inspires members of the club, especially women, to dream beyond their cultural restraints. 
Both of my parents were born in San Antonio and they grew up very poor in the barrio. Michelle's parents are second and third generation Mexican-Americans. Her dad pulled himself out of poverty by starting his own computer business in Dallas, Texas. They were the only minority family in the neighborhood. All of our neighbors were white. All of the friends I grew up with were white. And for a lot of years, we were kind of suspect. You know, the neighbors were very nervous when we moved in. My dad, of course, with his success, showed off his wealth through his, you know, Cadillacs that were in the 80s, the big Eldorados, (laughs) the Seville, the gold package. But I, I noticed subtle little things like the mother that lived next door, the friend I grew up playing with. Um, That mother, it took her 10 years before she actually came next door and invited my mother out to lunch. You know, it, it took time for them to kind of build trust and get to know us. Michelle grew up separated from her Latino roots. Her parents cooked Mexican food and spoke Spanish amongst themselves, but they never taught Michelle the language. They wanted to separate Michelle from her Mexican identity in order to protect her from judgment and discrimination. I didn't really know that I was ethnically different until like around sixth grade and and kind of being ostracized by groups and and friends. And it wasn't until high school and college that I started this journey of going back and finding more about my family's background and our heritage. It all started with an assignment to do a family tree. So I started asking my dad and my mom a lot of these questions. And I didn't even know that, you know, my paternal grandfather was from Mexico. And then my dad pulled out all these albums and I realized he was a famous musician in Mexico. Michelle's grandfather turned out to be Chucho Navarro, a founding member of the band Trio Los Panchos. They were so popular in Mexico that at some point they sold more albums than Elvis Presley. This discovery prompted Michelle to go to Mexico. She wanted to meet her grandfather and was able to do so shortly before he died. She also signed up for Spanish lessons and started asking her mother about her family. And realizing that my grandmother on my mother's side was completely illiterate. She could not read or write. And I asked why that was. And so I started noticing that there is this kind of sad tradition. Michelle learned about a tradition practiced by some Latino and immigrant families. It's where the oldest daughter is kept out of school in order to take care of the home and family. This is a common thing you see across the border in Mexico, you know, on farms, you need lots of hands, you need people to help work the fields. And so this is kind of a a carryover of that tradition. So my grandmother had 12 pregnancies, but nine survived to adulthood. And my older aunt was the favorite, so she got away with not having to do this. So my mother became kind of the second mother in the home. So my mother was kept out of school so that she could take care of her younger siblings. The principal of the local elementary school noticed that Michelle's mother wasn't going to class. And so she actually drove to my grandmother's house and saw my mom, young girl, sweeping up on the porch, cleaning up. And she actually kind of shamed my grandmother and pointed to my mom and said, look, that child will go to school. So my mom did get to go to school. Michelle's mom ended up loving school. And her favorite thing to do was she learned to read and she loved books, you know, 
reading for her was her escape. Unfortunately, though, my grandmother, whenever she would catch my mom reading a book, she would beat her severely because in my grandmother's eyes, education was a waste of time because she needed her to, you know, do the laundry and iron the clothes and help make the food and take care of the babies. Because of her experience, Michelle's mother wanted to raise her own daughter differently. I really owe a lot of who I am and where I've come because of her, because she had this awareness, this sense of self. She realized that when she became a wife and a mother of a daughter, that she didn't want to put me through the same thing that had been done to her. So she is the one really that broke consciously this tradition that's been going back several generations in my mother's family. Since I was, you know, uh, a young kid, I knew I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to graduate school. I even, I write feature letters to myself and I wrote a letter in high school saying that I wanted to someday be a college professor. (laughs) And then when I turned 30, I read that letter. (laughs) So I've always had these long-term goals for education and I was never denied a book. She paid for anything I had any kind of curiosity for. It was encouraged. So music I did, I danced for almost 20 years, did piano lessons, you know, anything and everything you can think of. And so there was always in the home, this forward attitude of you will go to college. But it was during the recession in the early 80s. Her father lost his business. And as a result, any savings they had to pay for Michelle's education vanished. Right as I'm looking to apply out of state and go to Ivy League schools and, you know, get out of Texas, I realized I had nothing. So I had to find the wherewithal to pay for my own education. So I commuted my first year and then I worked several jobs. I got on financial aid. You know, I went deep into debt with student loans and I just continued through that journey of just wanting to learn, wanting to teach. Michelle went on to become a history professor at Dallas College, where she's been teaching for over 15 years. Many of her Latino students were curious about her background. They wanted to know how I got this far. They were sharing some of the challenges they were facing at home, especially being a first generation. You know, how do you explain to a grandparent, oh, I need to study? They don't understand that. They see it as, well, you're wasting time. You need to be working. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. And it just kind of organically came about that, you know, students were coming to my classes because I was teaching from my Hispanic perspective. I was giving them the history. I was giving them stories. One day, one of her students approached her with an idea. He came to my office one day and he said, Miss Navarro, there is no student club on this campus that represents Latinos. And I said, okay, so let's start a club. (laughs) And it started just that simply. And so it was then, over 10 years ago, when Michelle and her student founded Achieving Latino Academic Success, or ALAS for short. In Spanish, um, ALAS is wings. So the idea that we're giving students wings to fly. And I made sure that in the club, we try to be as inclusive as possible. You know, we have students who are DACA students. We have students that barely speak enough English. We have some students that are like me that have no Spanish at all. Uh, And it just kind of grew from there of being kind of a mentorship, being a place to socialize, to find connection. And and I realized that sharing both sides of my family's story really helped contribute to building that trust and building that relationship among my Latino students. As Latinos, members of ALAS can identify with Michelle and her family, especially when it comes to education. We wanted to focus more on what are the issues 
going on for a student coming to college for the first time? You know, they feel isolated. They don't know anyone. How do you relate to college when you have no one in the family that's been to college? They don't understand yet. Got to go to the library. If you are deficient in an area, you have to go to tutoring. So it's a place to kind of give them some support. And if they're facing a problem, finding ways to help them resolve it. I had one student, you know, she actually brought in her father and explained to him why I want to go to college and explain why me just getting married and having kids is not enough for me. At Alas, students organize cultural events and fundraisers. They also attend conferences and have guest speakers. In doing so, students are not only advancing on their educational path, but they're also provided with a supportive community. For Michelle, her work revolves around being kind and extending a hand to her students. It's just being someone a person can come to and share their story and listen. And especially if you see a minority student, especially a woman of color, does she have all the resources that she needs? And can you provide? Sometimes maybe just taking them under your wing, maybe even just asking how is their day? Can you help with anything if you see them struggling? We have to kind of have these conversations about changing the culture. We are more than our bodies. We are more than just putting on a pretty dress for a quinceanera. We are more than our boyfriend. That you know, we should be encouraging these girls to get involved into sports, into activities. That education needs to be emphasized, and that's really where it started with me. Just realizing that as I was struggling, and as I was pushing forward in my education and my career, I realized I can turn around and help others, and just. Be there if they need someone to talk to. If you want to get involved with Alas, you can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alas Student Club. Stay tuned for our postscript segment, Kindness Calling. In this edition of Kindness Calling, we're sharing the work of Aga Hader and Haley Zimmerman from Literacy Initiative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating and fostering after-school programs focused on youth development, reading, and STEM for low-income students across the world. The original idea came up after my teacher in eighth grade tasked us with a project, and we had to come up with any topic that we were interested in. And of course, being an avid reader, I always loved reading, and I always wanted to just read more. And so, what I did was I looked into various issues. One specifically was illiteracy among children and teens in poverty. That's Aga. As he tried to do more research, he learned about how pervasive illiteracy was in his community in St. Louis, Missouri. And after I gave that talk to my English class in eighth grade. I realized that it's not only important to speak on the issue, but it's also important to take action on that issue as well. And so, Aga did. When Aga set up Literacy Initiative, he was basically doing things on his own. But slowly, he was able to rally other teens around his cause, including Haley Zimmerman, who serves as their director of virtual programming. Our mission has always been to really help kids enjoy school and. Get a lot and just have enrichment in their lives, and so we run after-school programs. But then, since the pandemic started, we've had a more specific goal, which is to help kids replace everything that they've lost 
with school because of the pandemic. Haley, Aga, and the rest of their team taught kids everything from computer programming and art. In between these classes, they also snuck in some TikTok dances with the students. And then this fall, we've been doing tutoring. And so we're really trying to help kids replace both the social connection and the educational content that they've been missing in the pandemic. While they've done offshoots of their programming in places like Memphis and even in the UK, the Literacy Initiative's local impact is measurable and really quite impressive. Our biggest program was our after-school program, which we did a prototype the last year that Airport Elementary was in session. So they actually shut down about two years ago due to the lack of district funding and the board decided to shut down underperforming schools. So when we started working with them at the very beginning, they were actually 17th out of 17 schools in reading proficiency. And after we finished working with them about two and a half years later, they actually got bumped up to 10th. So that was a really huge jump in their overall reading proficiency. And it was through programs that allowed students to be more motivated to read. For the team at Literacy Initiative, there's a core value that helps drive their initiatives. Kindness is so crucial to being able to connect with kids. I get emails from volunteers saying, I'm about to have my first session, I'm really nervous. What is your tip? And my tip is, your kid has to feel like you care about what they have to say. According to Haley, organizations like Riley's Way Foundation have helped them connect with like-minded teens. As adults, we might not be aware, but these young people can sometimes be hindered by imposter syndrome where they doubt their skills, talents, and accomplishments. But the grit and ambition for change that these kids have, it's something that we can actually take cues from. I would say that it's never too young to make an impact on this world. I remember when I was 13 and putting all this together, that there were a lot of people who doubted me and also continue to doubt me too. And it will always be a thing where people will say, oh, you're too young to do that, but you're really not. The people right now who you see are making an impact, who are go-getters, who are going out there, they're going to be the next CEOs, they're going to be the next president even. And so it shows when you're younger and you can make a difference. You can either, you know, sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else do great work, or you can get up and make an impact. It's just up to you and what you want to do. That's it for Kindness Calling. If you want to learn more about Literacy Initiative, please check out their website, literacy-initiative.org. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Riley Sway Foundation. On January 25th, Riley Sway Foundation opened its national initiative, the Call for Kindness competition for its third year. Teens from all around the country can submit their projects and ideas that are designed to make a difference and inspire kindness in their communities. Winners will be given $3,000 each to help implement their projects with their school or nonprofit partners. Deadline to submit entries is on April 7th. To learn more about the Call for Kindness and other life-changing programs at Riley Sway Foundation, please head on over to rileysway.org or callforkindness.org. Links are in our show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and believe that someone else can benefit from it, please don't forget to share it. We'll be back next week with another dose of kindness. Thanks for listening.